0: pet food revolution. Every week, it seems like there's a recall or a news story about pet food. This week, we're talking about an exciting new book called The Clean Pet Revolution. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And one of the topics that we continue to struggle with is pet food, questions around pet nutrition, safety, efficacy, what works, what doesn't, why are some pet foods so expensive and others so cheap? Well, this week, we're really proud to share with you a co-author of a book that I've got coming out in just a week or two. Uh, before we get into all of that, as always, I am your co-host, Dr. Ernie Ward.
1: And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser.
0: And Becky, before we even get into our show, I think a little celebration is due...
1: Your birthday.
0: (laughs) No, it's not my birthday. It
1: was your birthday. Happy birthday, belated.
0: But happy birthday to the Viewfinder family.
1: Happy Happy birthday to us.
0: Because this celebrates our three-year anniversary. I can't believe it's been three years nonstop, weekly grinding it out, providing our colleagues and friends with some of the, I think, content that's pretty meaningful. We
1: we haven't missed... Well, you haven't missed a week in three years. Um... I have been absent a handful of times, but we have, we have truly hit an entire three years every week.
0: So again, we want to thank you, the Viewfinder family for supporting us, being loyal listeners, sharing it with your colleagues, sparking conversations, and ultimately making change in our profession because that's why we do it. And speaking of change, we today are joined all the way from England with A dear friend of mine and now co-author, and Becky, you actually have some stuff working with her, but Alice Oven is joining us from somewhere around London-ish area, which she can tell us about more in a second. But Alice Oven uh, is a person who is involved in veterinary textbook publications, and we'll ask her a little bit more about that. But more importantly, right now, she is working on her master's dissertation in animal welfare science, ethics, and law which is why she's an important part of this story today. Uh, Alice and I go back several years. We both are, are, you know, vegans, vegetarians. We believe in animal welfare. We also are concerned about the pet health, you know, uh, in general, especially around pet nutrition. And so about a year ago, I said, Alice, let's write a book. (laughs) And Alice, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, Ernie. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, I listen regularly, so it's really exciting to actually be on the podcast at last.
0: Oh, wow. Well, well, Alice, again, I, I gave a little teaser, but you, you've actually been involved in the veterinary profession for some time. So maybe just give our listeners a very brief insight into what you do.
2: Mm, so I've actually been on the other side of the publishing process, I guess, for most of my life. So I've worked in academic publishing, and I work for a company called Taylor & Francis here in the U.K., Um, We also have some um, American offices too. But we publish a whole range of books across life sciences and other scientific areas. And one of my areas is veterinary medicine, which is actually how I came to meet you in the first place, Ernie. Um, Some years ago now, at a conference in um, Spain, I think it was. So, yeah, we, um, we met there and I have spent a lot of time trying to sign up new books in veterinary medicine. So I talk to authors and try and find gaps in the market and um, look for what kind of new veterinary textbooks might be useful for students. So that's kind of what I do by day.
0: But you do something else. <laughs> really cool.
2: <laughs> yes, so I'm also studying for a master's, as you mentioned before, in um, animal welfare, science, ethics and law at Winchester. And I do that remotely sort of by night while, uh, while I'm publishing in the day. So yeah, I've um, been, uh, just working on my dissertation for the last couple of months and I've been researching pet owner attitudes to feeding alternative proteins to pets, which is obviously where our book comes in as well. So it's all tied together rather than nicely.
0: Right. So again, listeners, you probably have heard over the past couple of years, I co-founded a plant-based pet food company that we are out of, out of San Francisco, specifically Berkeley, California, called Wild Earth. And we have a, a line of dog treats using koji and yeast proteins. We have a, an adult dog food that launched and, and you know we have some pretty cool people involved with our company. But about a year and a half ago, I really started pushing within our company. I said, look, you know, I really want to tell the story of why I am compelled to do this. And so I thought instinctively to reach out to my friend Alice, because at that point, she was just beginning her master's. And, and what I continue to call ethics animal ethics and i really wanted to get that perspective because i can i can give you the veterinary inside the nutritional scoop you know the the reasons why uh, plant-based diets will work or will not but i also wanted to bring in somebody from the outside if you will to give me a more of an ethical perspective so that led us down this journey that is culminating in the December 9th 2019 release of the clean pet food revolution how better pet food will change the world so super excited to talk about that
2: Absolutely. I'm so excited as well. I can't wait for publication. And what date is it coming out now, Ernie?
0: December 9th. So pre-orders are available on Amazon. <laughs> we were super excited. We were yeah. number one new release on Amazon in like the pet food, pet space or whatever. Uh, so I'm super excited about that.
1: Yeah, I think it's an important topic because there is so much confusion and we we need, you know, clarity and and facts and information. There's a, there's a huge interest in, in nutrition in general, but I think um, as much interest as there is, there's confusion. So, I mean, give us a little bit of background on on what the book dives into, I guess, in general, when, you're, when you talk about better pet food.
0: Yeah, Alice, I'll, I'll start off. That's a great question. And I think that the introduction of our book sets it up nicely because we talk about how our responsibilities as pet owners have evolved, particularly over the past 20 to 40 years. And so we talk about, okay, look. We love our dogs and our cats. I mean, Alice and I are mad about our dogs and cats, okay? Alice doesn't have any cats yet, but that'll change soon. But regardless, um, you know, we also start to take into account what is the impact of our pet food choices? What is the impact on the environment? On climate change, on animal welfare. And to date, a lot of people have heard that, you know, meat production, meat consumption is somehow bad for the environment, somehow contributes to climate change and greenhouse gas emissions. But what has been missing from this conversation is the role that pet foods play. And I think Alice, that's where we set out to 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 discuss that particular issue.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, for me, it was it came at a really good time because I've been struggling for a while with the concept of well, as a as a vegan for many years, I've tried to live my life in a way that causes the least harm to other animals um, and the environment as well. And I was really struggling with feeding my dog meat, you know, three times a day and what that was doing to the environment and also the kind of ethical issues associated with that. So the whole idea of this book prompted me to do some really in-depth research. And I discovered that actually our pets can, well, not only, not only survive without animal meat, but actually thrive. And I've seen it in my own dog as well. So It's been a fantastic experience all around and it's really helped explore those kind of ethical issues and that ethical feeding friction that a lot of us experience when we um, when we we feel that we're feeding our pets meat and that doesn't align with our moral values.
0: Right. And I would say that is one of the key take home messages of the book, the ethical feeding friction that we all experience. And again, regardless of if you believe in feeding meats, eating meats or, or not. That's really not the issue. The issue is, okay, what do those choices do to the world around us? And can we make better choices, healthier choices, more compassionate choices? And so we, we sort of start off the book, Alice, a bit, you know, I, I guess for me, it's not controversial, but I think a lot of readers are going to be surprised at, you know, some of the ingredients that are in pet foods, you know, the, the documented science behind it, the recalls, uh, that first uh, chapter is called A Dollop of Deadly. <laughs> And we really talk about, you know, all the other things that are going into meat, because here, here's one of the things that that I, you know, look, I applaud the FDA and the USDA for their efforts at keeping our food supply safe. Uh, I, I appreciate it. But what I'm more concerned about are the things that aren't being tested for the growth hormones, the antibiotics, all of the enhancers, the microplastics, the the chem, chemicals that are used to clean meats. I mean, Alice, as we expose in the book, expose maybe is too strong of a word, but as we reveal through a lot of science, that there's a lot of things in meat that maybe you aren't considering.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I found that chapter quite terrifying to research, and um, I think the issue, certainly coming from the UK, I think we sort of pride ourselves on having pretty high standards of what goes into meat, particularly into animal meat-based pet food. But I think there's increasing amount of research that shows that meat maybe isn't the healthiest thing that we can be eating as humans, and I think that we need to think about whether it is the healthiest thing we can be feeding our pets as well because of that. So there are definitely some big issues around the toxins, for instance, that bioaccumulate in meat down the food chain. And I think a lot of issues around contamination and just generally the bad things we might find in our pet's food.
0: Yeah. And Becky, I think this is a chapter that's really salient for veterinary technicians, support staff in particular, because these are the questions I think that most clients are concerned about.
1: Yeah. I mean... at least there's a growing concern right like more people are paying attention becoming more aware um you know it's funny i was i was listening to the news the other night and there was a story about the fda releasing you know a statement that we're putting too many chemicals and processed foods in our bodies and i don't i mean it's not funny i don't mean to laugh but you, you i was like this is breaking breaking news or um you know because it just seems like um there's a lot of people who have felt this way for a long time, but there's a, a growing awareness. And, and I think because of this growing awareness, we will be looking to organizations and industry to show more transparency and to be more up, upcom- you know, forthcoming and, and um, forthright about ingredients and the process of ingredients. And then, you know, also the consideration of the life um that that animal lived while it was living um, before it it becomes part of this process.
0: Well, Alice, I'll share with our uh, viewfinder family uh, a brief uh, quote or story that I used to pitch you to try to hook you into this uh, this project, uh, because, you know, it's a big undertaking. It took us a year to research and write and finalize uh, this book. So I'm very proud of the the work that we put into it. But I remember telling Alice, you know, over a Skype call, I was like, look, you know, like you, I've been a lifelong vegan and vegetarian. I always thought like I wasn't part of the problem, right? You know, I'm part of the solution. I'm not the one contributing to the devastation of the environment and climate change and all these animal welfare atrocities that are occurring. You know, I'm the good guy. And then in 2017, Alice, you remember the UCLA study led by Dr. Gregory Oaken. Mm. He he publishes some some data that kind of shook my world. It actually shook me to the core and it made me, it activated me in this realm. And actually, this is one of the key moments that led to us founding Wild Earth. And so what Oaken found, he looked at what is the contribution of pet food to greenhouse gas emissions. And he found in general terms that about 30%, 25 to 30% of all of the meat-derived calories consumed in the U.S. were consumed by dogs and cats. And then he said further that 25 to 30%, and then there's a plus-minus of about 9%, I think, in his calculations, Alice, Um, So about 30 percent, 25 percent of the greenhouse gas emissions are directly related to pets. And then he said that if pets in the U.S., dogs and cats were a country in terms of their meat consumption, they would be the fifth largest country in the world. So, Alice, when I was laying all this on you, (laughs) how did you feel?
2: I was absolutely gobsmacked. I mean, I had an inkling, obviously, that there must be an environmental problem with feeding all this meat to pets. But A lot of me thought well this is just byproducts from the the meat that we we breed and and kill for humans surely we're just using byproducts it's not causing any extra environmental damage but what i hadn't factored in is the fact that increasingly we're demanding premium quality meat for our pets and we're feeding more homemade diets and more raw diets which means that we're actually breeding and slaughtering animals specifically for pet food and that's a really big problem that just means more land use more resource use more greenhouse gases as you say so i think it's something that a lot of people are unaware of and we need to be giving it real consideration
0: right and becky i mean i want to be clear alice and i and, and ryan bethencourt who's the ceo of, of wild earth is also a co-author on the book um we are we are supportive of the use you know if if, if you're going to kill an animal if you're going to raise an animal and kill it use every scintilla of it right so that that's not the issue what we discovered in our research is that again, a large percentage of, of animals are being purpose-bred, live and die solely to feed our pets. In fact, for fish consumption, the average American cat, Becky, is eating 30 pounds of fish a year. That's the average household cat. That's more than twice the average U.S. adult. So Becky, I mean, how do you feel when you hear these kind of things?
1: I mean, so I'm the non-vegan on the podcast right now. Um, you know, and, and I think it, you know, none of this needs to come from like a place of like shame or, you know, like out there to make people feel guilty. It's to bring awareness. Um you know, I don't know how to feel about that. There's a part of me that, you know, rationalizes and there's part of me that experiences guilt and frustration around that. Um I personally am someone who is open to varied proteins if I know that they're going to be healthy for my cat and I think one thing that's important to say is is when we we're talking about animal proteins versus non-animal proteins, we're not saying that your pets should be vegan in the sense that vegetables are all they should eat and and we've seen you know clients come in with that kind of mindset and they're feeding their pets you know celery and carrots and things like that and and that's not actually what we mean when we say, um, you know, non-animal based proteins. And and I know you guys will explain more what you're talking about and, and what th- their options are, are out there. Um, you know, but I, I, I write right now what I can afford, what, what works in our life, um, you know, is, is the products that are available and I would not give up my cats because of that. And that's super selfish, I guess, maybe, but I love my cats and I love having them, um, Am I open to a more sustainable source out there? Heck yeah. And I'm excited that there are people like you out there working on these options. And I'm excited to have the platform to try to bring more awareness because, um, it, it can be pretty stunning to a lot of people who who maybe don't realize this. Right.
0: And and I'll be the first to say, like, cats are the challenge. We don't have a cat food for this, that very reason, Becky, because, you know, right now we're developing these alternative yeast based proteins primarily, but also some cell ag stuff that we detail in the book. So we actually I think Alice, the exciting part of the book um, is also the exploration of what is happening in the human food space so we interview all of the top players so all of the companies that you're seeing in the news, all the people that are making quite frankly these massive businesses we interview them and we talk to them about their story and how it applies to pet food and sort of what we we see the future and Alice I mean you just had lunch with one of our uh, the people that we we work with in the book uh, maybe tell a little bit about that what's happening because that does apply to cats
2: Oh, God, absolutely. I mean, uh, it sounds from the start of this podcast, I guess, that our book is very much about problems, and it's really not. I mean, the focus of the book is about solutions and how we can do things better. And um, as Ernie says, we actually look a lot at some of the exciting developments going on for human food and how those might, in the future, transfer to pet food as well. So yesterday, I was really lucky to have lunch with um, Sanjay Suram, who is head of Shiok Meats, and they are creating um, shrimp, without having to harm or kill any shrimp in the process. So it is literally, for all intents and purposes, shrimp as you know it, but it is environmentally friendly, it's healthier, and it is incredible. Well, I mean, essentially, it's vegan. So I think this is really exciting stuff. And it's Um, really great. (laughs) It's really great. So we talk a lot about that, and we talk also to some other people doing things in this space, such as Finless Foods, We also talk about the um, pet food companies, which I think Ernie can probably talk more about.
0: And again, this book isn't just about my journey and Ryan's journey toward this. It's actually, we explore all of the other global pet food companies that are looking at it from a plant based. And Becky, this is one thing too. I want to, I want to sort of you know, discuss with the viewfinder family, the term vegan, uh, vegan is is a, an ideology. It's a way of life. It's um, a, a philosophy, if you will. Some people would say it's a political movement, a, a religious ideology as well. Yeah, you know, whatever however you want to define it, pets aren't vegan. Pets are, we're feeding them plant-based and alternative proteins, right? So Alice, maybe help clarify the language because we yeah. we have an entire chapter devoted to that. You know the struggle that I have with these terms. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe explain a little bit about why We don't say our pets are vegan.
2: Yeah I mean our pets are never going to be vegans. Our cats and dogs are not ever going to lie awake at night worrying about the fate of the planet or the ethics of wearing that leather collar you might have bought them. Um, You know our pets are, are our responsibility and I would argue that as responsible pet owners these are things that we should be worried about and in that case we should be trying to find better ways to do things things are better for the planet, for other animals, but ultimately are also better for our pets. And I think that's where some of the really interesting stuff in this book comes in, because we look at how actually these alternative proteins could be healthier for your pets than conventional meat. It's not a compromise, it's actually something that could be better for them.
0: And that, that is why like, I'm super stoked about the Wild Earth Dog Food, because we use uh, these yeast and koji, these fungal proteins, And they, uh, the the cell wall of a yeast, or or, you know, or or any of these fungi, is about 10 percent of a special kind of dietary fiber called beta glucans. And if you are a person like me who's nerdy about human nutrition, you already got excited when I said beta glucans, because they have all types of immune boosting and cancer fighting and just health, you know, healthy benefits. So that will never be accomplished with an animal meat. Animal meats don't contain beta glucans. So suddenly now imagine you're two years ago and we're starting up this pet food company and we're looking at all the science and available you know what could we do what kind of proteins could we use you know my imagination ran wild you guys know me on my fight for pet obesity and so I said I like high protein high fiber and suddenly somebody goes you know we can do that so Becky you know again I think that that this book not only does it show the problems and and I know that it's, it's a downer sometimes but I think Three quarters of the book focuses on solutions. Does that make you a little happier?
1: I think the problem is, is that we hear so much extreme info, right? Like you don't know what to trust because it comes off as being so extreme one way or another, right? You think of all these like Netflix docu- Netflix documentaries that are happening and like opening up eyes, but It's hard to know, you know, what falls in between because there are so few solutions given, right? It's like black or white. So I'm excited about um, these these solutions. I'm excited about this knowledge and I'm excited about, again, having the conversation because um, I think. A lot of people don't even maybe have an awareness, again, that there there are these environmental impacts, even folks who who like me do consume meat, but don't go out of their way to, you know, ruin the earth. So, um, you know, if it's not something that you're thinking about, it's really important to talk about. And, And as a veterinary industry. You know, it's it's our job to talk about it. You know, I'm always complaining that other parts of the industry are getting in front of us in educating us or making our our rules or making our standards. And so I love that this is coming from the inside of the veterinary industry that says, hey, we've got to pay attention. We're the one pushing these foods and we can be pushing foods that are not destroying the earth. And I and I think that's really important.
0: Right. And and, and again, you know, for my veterinary colleagues, we had to raise money to to get this company going and one of our early early investors was mars because mars saw what we were doing they liked our solutions they said oh my gosh these guys have some pretty amazing you know intellectual property around these wild proteins these yeast and fungal proteins and they have a team that seems pretty solid so you know it, it there's there's like becky said there's a lot more happening than you're aware of and i think alice that's what we were trying to to uncover is actually show the world pet owners everywhere, that there's a lot of things happening and it's happening very rapidly.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that message that it's not about us versus them in terms of, you know, the smaller startup pet food companies trying to do things ethically versus these kind of evil corporations. That's really not the case at all. It's about working with people who already have the customers, who already have that market. And sort of showing them that there are ways to do things better and also learning from them too. So it really is a collaborative process. It's not about some kind of um, battle. So that is definitely one of the messages in the book.
1: That's such an important and and really like salient point, right? That it's, this is about amplifying efforts by combining power, right? You've got... You know, you guys have the time and and the passion to do this research and to build this product. And, um, you know, having investors out there that are willing to back these products to say we're we are open to a better way to we know that this isn't the best route. But we also know that this is how we are getting right now the best nutrition out there to pets. Um you know, that's a, that's a daily ethical, moral, you know, battle that we should be living with the forefront in our, of our minds. And in, again, I think this book brings that to, to the forefront of our minds of being able to do this as sustainably as possible. Um, I recycle my cat can as soon as I'm done. With it. Right. That's
0: great. Well, the other thing too, just for, you know, because viewfinders, you guys are, are us veterinary professionals. Uh, I think there's one other little kind of important component to to what I'm trying to do desperately. Uh, number one, I think it's important to recognize that most pet food companies don't have a co-founder that's a veterinarian, and they don't have a veterinarian who's at the very top who gets to sort of dictate the terms. Now, obviously, we're a group. You know, there's there's five or so of us at, at the executive level. And so we have to work and I make concessions and, you know, they make concessions and so forth, but it's really important to know that I am fighting for our voice. So the science, you know, I mean, marketing overwhelms most pet food companies. So, you know, I try to, to temper that as much as possible. And this is what we're trying to do. The second thing is there's a a strong health component. I do like Becky said, you know, I worry sometimes that we are losing control of the entire pet sphere. I mean, you guys have been listening for three years to me saying this, you know, how do we retain relevancy? How do we regain our authority in this profession? You know, how can we become the millennials most trusted source of information, which is slipping quickly. And, and so part of that is to get in inside the nutrition, you know, ball, because I realized that, okay, look, you know, I can have all these veterinary clinics. I can write and lecture. I can even be on television. Thank you, Rachel Ray. But, you know, I'm still only reaching a small percentage of the pet owners. And what I really want to do is improve and enhance health and well-being. And this applies to all animals. Now, Alice, I think if, if our listeners are listening today, I think they're going to be shocked at the whole dog is a wolf myth. I mean, you know, I probably waxed a little too poetically on that <laughs> chapter, but you know how passionately I am about that. And that's not, that is all science. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And I think it is, I mean, it's staggering to me when I look at my King Charles Cavalier, who's sitting here growling at me, trying to look like a fierce wolf as much as possible, but he's, you know, he's as far from a um, you know, flesh hungry carnivore as, as a dog could get. And I think this kind of mythology that's being pushed that our dogs are miniature wolves that need to be fed endless animal meat and they need these hugely high-protein diets is very outdated and it's just not scientifically correct. And in fact, we're making our pets fat. We're making them unhealthy by feeding these kind of fattening high-protein diets that they don't need today as domestic dogs.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. So we go into, I mean, you know, this was a bit like chow hounds where I remember my uh, publisher was like, Ernie, can you not write a paragraph without a scientific citation? You know, Alice, I mean, this book is heavily referenced.
1: No, you can't. I mean, I mean, <laughs> you have to, right? Because if you don't, then, then it's your opinion. And I think it's actually super necessary to include those because those are the things we want to go back to because in this industry, we need data in this industry. We need that scientific backing. I want to read the studies. So having a place in, in, in one reliable source that I can pick up and read and, and trace back those studies is, is incredibly essential.
0: Yeah. And the other thing too, I think viewfinders you are going to find really interesting is my attack on the terminology that we use carnivore, omnivore herbivore. I mean, Alice, you, you, you know, that was, I mean, that was up I, had made, I landed some strong punches in I that love area. that
2: section of the book. Yeah, I love it. You don't hold back. You really go for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's an interesting perspective. And I, I can't give it away because I want you to read the book because I need for you to read the book because if I give it all away, which I'll give away bits and pieces, but these are outdated terms based on 18th century science. I think when you... You hear the story of how we came up with these terms, carnivore, omnivore, how they have morphed into these weirder terms, you know, like obligate carnivore, true carnivore. I mean, and then you see where it's actually headed. You're going to realize, whoa, this is again, veterinary colleagues, If you find your family, you know what I'm about to say. This is about nutrients, not ingredients. These are arbitrary terms that we've applied and created an entire mythology around dog is wolf, wolf is dog, whatever. And I I think that part of the book is really going to be helpful for everyone.
1: You think it's an important point. We get really wrapped up in terms that we don't necessarily know the definitions behind. So, you know, again, I, I think it's an awesome resource to have. I think it's an important conversation to have. I think we really do need to start having some truth brought out, you know, and and talking truthfully about um, the impacts, because, you know, if there are alternatives out there, we need to be aware of them. But if not, we need to at least like not be kidding ourselves about, you know, uh, what is going on. And we need to be, you know, we need to be truthful and honest and and aware. And um, that's just overall in general, in our, our current like economic state, you know, the um our environmental state, I mean awareness is really important because um you know we go we, we've talked about this before um in, in getting into we go through a lot in the industry right, like in the veterinary industry, there is a lot of waste in general we we have a tendency to like we have to in the healthcare field, and um we're responsible for the impacts of that it's part of our profession
0: i I love that you just said that, and I'll tell you too, just viewfinders in case you're wondering like you know why do these terms bug me so much? Um, Alice, I think most, I mean, in the UK, hares or rabbits are popular pets. Am I right?
2: Uh, yes, definitely. Rabbits are. Yeah.
0: And yeah, rabbits definitely. are often considered the vegan's best pet because they are considered to be mm. what
2: do they call them? Um, Herbivores. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Well, in the book, we actually show you the latest science on this myth because actually hares, particularly it's been documented in Canadian hares, actually eat meat during the winter because they can't forage for plants. And so this was speculated for some time. But Becky, we now have scientific videographic evidence that rabbits eat meat. They even eat each other.
1: I mean, I'm just like picturing it. It's like real Disney in my mind. (laughs) It is. It is. It's very. But these, are, these are the things
0: that lead me, you know, to get very frustrated with the terminology because those terms are archaic, they're outdated, and quite frankly, they're meaningless in the in terms of the new science of nutrition. Because again, veterinary colleagues, viewfinder family, we have to focus on the nutrients that provide the best health. You know, and again, I, you'll, you'll you'll love the book. Uh, Alice, as we sort of wrap up today's conversation, just um, explain a little bit the last third of the book, where we really get into all the biotech mm. revolution that's happening, mm. that we interview a ton of people. And so thank you to all the people who contributed to the book. But but maybe just give us that little closing, like, you know, why that last third of the book is so mm. powerful.
2: Yeah. So we basically I mean, the middle part of the book is really more about sort of plant-based diets and busting those mythologies we talked about. But then the end of the book talks about these exciting novel proteins that are coming out of um, multiple startups in America and some really, really cool things that people are doing. So we look at things like yeast-based pet food. We look at algae. We look at kind of these sort of ancient proteins that are coming back that aren't conventional meat in the kind of ancestral diet that is being marketed now, but it's something much more exciting and interesting than that. So we look at what wild earth are doing, obviously, with koji. And we also explore um, cell-based meat, so meat that is identical to animal meat, Um, But not a single animal has to be harmed. And that is really revolutionary. So those parts of the books are enormously exciting.
0: Yeah, and Viewfinders, this stuff is happening rapidly. Like you are going to be able to go to McDonald's in the next three to maybe at the most five years um, and actually order a cell-based meat patty hamburger or whatever we call that, right? I mean, and that's actually part of the holdup right now is the regulations around this are still being worked out between the FDA and the USDA, but it's happening so rapidly. And again, we just mentioned Shiok Meats with the shrimp, our CEO and co-author of this book, Ryan Bethencourt was just in Singapore last week. And he, if you watch him on Instagram at Ryan Bethencourt, then uh, you'll see him actually eating this stuff. So it's, I mean, this is happening like right now. So I think sometimes viewfinders, we think, Oh, you know, when it happens, it'll, you know, I'll wait on it. Here's what happened. Um, how many of you, Becky, had you ever even considered having a plant-based whopper, you know, uh, ever?
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. I, you know, I, I love that this is actually happening because I think it is, I, I hate to say this, but I count on media to normalize things in life. Right. Um, you know i remember years ago when campbell soup was one of the first ones to put uh you know two males in a house situation <laughs> as a couple online and it was crazy time right um but media will normalize so much of this for us and so i think that when people Um, industries like um, KFC has got these plant-based nuggets at some places. I guess now Burger King has got the plant-based whopper, which by the way, if you haven't tried it, the, the, other than the fact that there's a ton of sodium, um, it's a really, <laughs> really good burger. Um, and you got to watch those plant-based options for that reason, too, right? <laughs> They'll sneak up on you um, and your blood pressure. But, um, you know, I think that when we mainstream this, we don't make it hooky and weird and, oh, you got to go to the hippie granola store to get you a plant-based burger. It's like, no, I'm going to roll through the drive through This is what we need in society to normalize the conversation and to mainstream these products.
0: And then Alice, uh, the last chapter was one that that you know I I took on, kind of demanded. It seems like it's a bit just tap, t- tagged on at the very end. But I talk about lab animal testing and cruelty in lab animal testing. And viewfinders, if you're out there right now and you know, you're saying things like, well, we want to see AFCO feeding trials and things like that, you need to be clear that that is actually advocating or supporting or condoning, endorsing, incentivizing, Lab animal testing. Uh, I go into detail explaining these beagle farms. Actually, what's happening? So these feeding trials are conducted in closed environments. And look, I I applaud. I've visited these people. I've interviewed them. Uh, I, I, there are some people. They are legitimately and genuinely, Alice, trying to make it better for those laboratory animals. But at the end of the day, these are animals that are purpose bred for food testing. And you know, I, I think it's really important for my colleagues, Alice, to own and accept that and figure out where we land on that because we should be striving. Yeah, you know, these are dogs and cats.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's such an important chapter because it's something that nobody thinks about and we all assume obviously it's pet food. It's going to have to be tested on a pet at some point, but we don't tend to think about it being tested in a enclosed captive laboratory situation where the dogs or the cats don't have owners to advocate for them. Um, and I think that the kind of alternatives that you discuss in that chapter um, things like at-home testing are not only obviously much more humane, but they are also, and I thought this was really interesting, potentially much more accurate and scientifically valid. And it would be really interesting to hear a bit more about that.
0: I hope you'll, uh, you find us will definitely hone in on that last chapter because that directly impacts us today. And and like Alice said, I actually have some questions with the methodology, the interpretation of results, because if if all these you know t- foods are tested primarily on beagles. And maybe labs that are purpose bred and facility lab facilities, you know, does that apply to my rescue mutt? And and, and I think that's a legitimate question. Uh, I'm not I'm not gonna weigh in either way. You'll have to read the book to see where I land on that. But I think that diversity and testing is also important. So anyway, Alice, I want to thank you so much for not only joining us on the viewfinder today, but also joining me on this journey. You are an amazing force. Uh, please uh, give us a website because I love your website.
2: Oh yes, it is aliceanimalwelfare.co.uk. So yeah, so she
0: does some amazing writing there. She is a, a fantastic author. So uh, obviously. Uh, I think you have a master's in literature from Oxford, perhaps?
2: I do. That's how I got into publishing in the first place. So, yeah, I took the publishing path from my English degree. But then it's been absolutely wonderful to be able to actually put that English degree into, into good use in doing some proper writing. So, yeah.
0: yeah, Alice knows how to string a noun, a verb and a <laughs> predicate together in a beautifully elegant way. So, Alice, again, uh, thank you so much. Uh, there's other projects that Alice and I will be working on. Um, She just doesn't know it yet, but don't (laughs) worry, Alice. I'm in. The next pitch is up. Uh, Viewfinder family, thank you so much for indulging me today. December 9th, the clean pet food revolution, how better pet food will change the world. Please go to Amazon, uh, pre-order it. I think it's important for all of us in the veterinary profession to at least expose ourselves to these ideas and these exciting changes that are just around the corner. And thank you for letting me share the past three years. Becky, thank you for putting up with me for the past three years
1: three years. Thank you. It's been amazing. You know, um, we've had so many great opportunities. I appreciate the opportunity to advocate for the technicians and support staff out there. And um, I appreciate everybody listening to us for three full years.
0: Yeah. And if you'd ever like to see us live, we've been trying to contemplate at a conference next year, a meeting, a way we could sort of get together and get you, the audience involved directly. Let us know, you know send us a message, hit us up on social media. We definitely want to hear from you
1: you can find us on Facebook at veterinary viewfinder on Instagram at vet viewfinder and on Twitter at vet viewfinder. You can click and subscribe anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, And when you're there, take a chance to, uh, leave us some stars and a few words of review. It helps other veterinary professionals find this podcast
0: until next time. As I closed out Chowhounds, feed, well live long. Bye. Bye. Bye everybody.